Welcome to Vija, please. A hateful voyage for the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Well, Peter, I uh, I did something tragic. I went to Reddit. <laughs> uh, for uh, business or pleasure? <laughs> it was for pleasure, but it became business. Um, so. I've discussed at times that I do talk about our podcast on Star Trek subreddit, specifically the Voyager subreddit, which is a quiet place, but possibly the most active thread I've ever seen on the Voyager subreddit happened this week. Like how active are you saying? Like, would you say there's like dozens of people talking or like hundreds? 66 comments total, which is huge. 71 upvotes. On the actual, uh, on the actual post, this is big for the Star Trek subreddit. Uh, Star amazing. Trek Voyager that's subreddit. A, oh, Voyager! I got you. Okay. Yeah, for Voyager, this is the biggest thread I've seen in the in the almost year that I've been subscribed to it since we started the show. Okay. And it was about somebody who was complaining that on the main Star Trek board, people tend to be down on Voyager, which is true. It's, I, I wonder why <laughs> I can't imagine why so uh and it was a lot of I like it it's great I liked uh, the shoot you know and and uh you know threshold wasn't as bad as people say and I was like okay like the shoot was good threshold is definitely not the worst episode of Star Trek ever granted um and and people were, were chiming in of like I love this I love that about Voyager and there are some kind of cringy moments where someone says I think it's just latent uh sexism that people can't admit that Voy- that Jade Wave is the best captain I'm like whoa whoa uh, let's uh, calm that down <laughs> let's uh, pump the brakes but I contrib- I was like you know what I'm going to go ahead and contribute to this right like I'm I'm watching every episode of this of this show and then doing an hour to hour plus long podcast about every episode this is this is something I should probably have an opinion about. Yeah. Peter, would it shock you to know that my thread was the only thread to be downvoted? <laughs> well, based on your um, reports of experience in this particular subreddit before, I'm surprised, frankly, you haven't been banned. <laughs> well, you know, I this is what I started with. I said Voyager has some good episodes, uh, but it has a higher density of garbage. Than other episodes so like that for every projections there's like three false prophets that's the problem it has good that's episodes. a direct quote that's a direct quote so you dragged false prophets into this i dragged false because the fright the, the trauma is fresh in my mind right like oh, i just yeah. got done editing that one and i was like Ugh. right yeah i'm still pissed you know what i didn't know apparently all voyager fans fucking love false prophets <laughs> Like, I I got hit by a hurricane of a fucking <laughs> false prophets apologists, and and it was a I can't believe you don't like that show. I feel sad for you if you can't find something to like in it. Uh, you know, uh, uh fucking uh, Ethan Phillips as the Grand Proxy was amazing. Uh, everybody like voting these people, like cheering these people on, or or trying to slamming me for discrediting false prophets and uh you know i tried to be cordial i'm like hey you know like what you like uh 
I'll, I'll post our podcast link on Thursday when it comes out. We just happen to review it and maybe I can convince you it's for real bad because it was. <laughs> and, and they did not enjoy this commentary. People from the Internet are going to come to your home and burn it down, Joe. <laughs> I guess it it, uh, it serves as an opportunity, I think, for maybe us to just discuss briefly before we go on to talking about this week's episode, like the position from which we come at things, because we've been, do- we've been almost doing this for a year. Yeah, Crazy it's going to be a year sad. on the 28th, right? Yeah, it's a year on the 28th. And Speaking of which, before we, we jump down that, uh, I think we're talking about doing a one of our YouTube live cast fan interactive mess halls somewhere towards yeah. the end of this month. I think we finally have settled on a real name for it. I like mess hall. I do. Too. Uh, and so that's what we're going to call them. And we feel like we're we're due for one. We got some some kind of genres, Trek genre, sci fi genre discussions that we want to do and we always like hearing from the fans of course and get some interaction with them via the live stream process so invite your new reddit friends to come That's... defend uh false prophets so so what are you saying false before prophets. i cut you off yeah so yeah so we're gonna do that on january 28th i'll start at 8 p.m eastern and we'll let people know many times between now and then about that uh but uh you know, tell your friends and family, tune in and uh, be part of the fun. Uh, we, Peter and I are just such nerds that talking about Star Trek for an hour once a week just isn't enough. Sometimes we kind of do it twice. Oh, yeah. But my wife's well, well enough, you know, <laughs> well aware. So anyways, uh, the, the angle that we come at this from. Yeah. So. I am a huge fan of Star Trek. I have seen every episode of Broadcast Trek, although. Obviously, as this podcast has revealed, I remember some of it much better than others. And I all of my uh, love for it comes from a place of of great affection from my childhood. But I'm realistic about it being a television and I'm willing to let things go because I understand Star Trek is a vehicle to tell a story. And so there's only so much you can do in 44 minutes. And I'm looking for more effort than being perfect. But also, I am not a fanboy. I'm not that kind of person. I am happy to see the flaws and the things that I love. <laughs> and this show is disliked by a great number of Star Trek fans for good reason. And for all of the good things and the genuine praise we give it, we don't shy away from talking about that deep, dark part of of your psyche that recognizes that this show was not actually very good in total. If you're tuning in, uh, you, I think we're fair. We're not like, cruel to the show, uh, but uh, we will, we will never hide from the truth. No. And I think it's one of those, you know, you can't appreciate a sunny day without the rainy ones. I think Voyager is able to hit some really, really high marks. And I think it's because, you see how bad it can be when it's bad. So when it's good, it's great. And some of the exploration into the the history of Voyager that we've done, specifically how controlling the writer room was and how overbearing the direction from Paramount was that, you know, we don't blame the actors. We don't always necessarily blame the writers. Oh, we, we sometimes blame the actors. Sure. We don't always. It's, it's it, you know, <laughs> okay. we're not hating on specific actors. 
and we're not hating on specific characters. It's just, you know, the combination of the script plus the director. We get it. There are certain things that are outside of the control of, uh, you know, the people trying to provide a, a fun story uh, to the viewers at home. And you, know, you got to take what you can get with these situations. And a lot of time it's poop and sometimes it's awesome. So if you're joining us from Reddit because you're listening to this episode or or whatever, and or you've you've come from the Star Trek PBS board or some of these other places I've gone to talk about the show, and I know some people have listened from there. Um, you know we're fans of Star Trek and we love Star Trek and we love sci-fi and we love nerd shit in general. Peter and I have, you know, that's our that's our whole you know hobby part of our lives in many ways, uh, and and I think for the better. Like so much of what I have come to enjoy in my adulthood. I can trace back to watching Star Trek with my dad on VHS that we got from Hollywood video um, 30 years ago. And uh, at the same time, I can be very realistic about where this show uh, falls into garbage heaps of despair and misery. And speaking of that, Peter, what episode did we watch this week? Oh, that'd be season three, episode six. So uh, I watched... What's it called? Uh, remember. See, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't That's know about funny. you. That's funny. But I watched a really good episode of Star Trek uh, this week. Yeah, I mean, I used that line for for comedy purposes, mm-hmm. but this was not bad. Um, oh, no, no. See, the good Star Trek that I watched was about um, a starship crew that had to pull over to the side of the road so... Uh, one of the aliens on board could do his once in a year pee. That would be, of course, the Orville, which came out for season two this week. <laughs> and I watched the same night I watched this goddamn thing. And uh, one of them was a good episode and one of them was not. So uh, I look forward to to seeing where our opinions diverge on this. Yeah, remember, yeah, I, I, I didn't think this was terrible. Um, I usually you're the person apologizing for the show and I'm the one telling you it's bad and you have Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would give this one a C plus. No like, fucking way. Yeah. I, well, I mean, a slightly above average. No, uh, because a, we're starting off with what seems to be some distant cousins to our uh, <laughs> most reviled shitheads. <laughs> okay. Okay. Peter, my Stevie, my wife, uh, the moment she saw these guys on screen, her first words were, oh, my God, it's the shitheads. It is. So we're talking so, about humans with what appears to be some sort of, you know, like in college, the police would bust parties that didn't have fences around them in the front yard. So kids would set up that orange construction danger fencing. It's like a mesh. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, these are like regular human dudes only around their hairline. They have like gray and green and purple construction mesh. And they I don't really know. They really just reused it. They reused the same effect, the same makeup effect. Uh, I don't think it was the same. It was very similar. The shitheads was way grosser when you really looked. It was kind of crusty, Kazon-ish. Like this, I, I'm, it might actually be some sort of like cloth, non-organic thing, but. It's mesh, whatever it is. I thought it might be cloth on some of some of the characters we see in the like the flashback sequences. I don't know. But but the ones on the ship definitely looked like it was the same kind of technique and texturing as the shitheads, just less severe. But yes, the return of 
the worst makeup effect we've seen on the show. Uh, and we we see that because apparently Voyager is playing uh, at uh, Cruise Liner mm-hmm. to a uh, a bunch of of aliens that they encountered or that they encountered. The, Did you catch their name? The Anarans. OK, yeah, right. The Anarans uh, have space travel. They have warp travel, but their warp capability isn't as great as Voyager's. And essentially, they they picked up some passengers from a colony uh, to take them back home. And they're going to make incredible time. And in exchange, they're doing they're giving uh, Voyager's some te- uh, energy preservation technology. Some That's the premise. Yeah. This is the first type of episode I think we've really seen. Uh, out of Voyager where they are doing a large scale transport of a third party that they are seeing some sort of material gain for their efforts and that you have a episode that's based pretty much entirely um, well physically on the ship although like you said there are some flashbacks that come with this Um, we pick up in engineering where you've got Balana and Harry uh, an attractive um blonde lady who was a commander in command and conquer yuri's revenge <laughs> <laughs> no shit and then annoying grandma and they're they're helping uh, obviously the starfleet crew upgrade voyager to lead platinum status or whatever and harry as is traditional wants to fuck the alien and uh, is making sex eyes from across engineering and and the pretty blonde uh, shithead alien uh, definitely is interested in him. And this first scene is annoying grandma and Bolana finding excuses to leave the two of them alone to go have dinner together. Yes, but not before annoying grandma lectures them about crap that nobody cares about. Um, I found Harry to be interesting in this episode because it's like he has grown his balls considerably and where normally he'd be sheepish and kind of uh, a scared of the ladies. He is very forward in this. And I thought it was a nice change of pace for his character. Yeah, he's going for it. I mean, he uh, they they leave Bolana in the dust with the slightest excuse to do so. Like Bolana wingmans, you know, she's mm-hmm. she she makes it happen for her, her boy, Harry, like because they're bros. We established that in the pilot episode. These guys are homies. Yeah, I guess so, they are kind of bros at this point. When was the last time they really had some some time together? I can't remember the last time they really broed down. I do remember some some second season episodes where they sort of had their their little interplay, but uh, they've established it enough where her like trying to arrange those two to go to dinner together made sense. How much of that? And I want to stick here for a second because this is a relationship I haven't really thought about. But she watched Harry die. The worst death, you know, the yes. the, the Starfleet dreaded death, which is getting sucked out into space. Uh, and she watched that happen to Harry in uh, Deathlock. I have to imagine that put the zap on her and having a second chance to hang out. Like, I think deep down inside, she's like, all right. I'm going to be this guy's friend. I'm going to, I'm going to let the the walls down a little bit and I'm going to be nice to him because you know, you feel that rush of regret when someone, you know, dies. And you know what? That would 
the 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 hidden and forgotten moments of depth that the show could explore if it would just peel back the curtain. I like that we're recording them. Like we constantly are able to dig into the premises the writers give us and find this hidden these hidden gems that they didn't go for. And it's frustrating because it it goes back to I think a consistent complaint we've had about how much better this show could be with the pieces they had. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to make any wild ass, you know, alterations to the cast or even to the scripts. Just use what you've put on the table more. A line here, a line there, acknowledge the ground you've already covered and you can really slam dunk things. It's because of the ship in the bottle format that they stick to so closely. And that's something I really want to focus on when we do this mess hall at the end of the month. Um, I've put a lot of thought into it and I've got some some stuff I really want to say. But everybody cuts off to go to dinner and Balana goes to turn in for the night where we are treated to what is going to be the second episode of uh, Voyager that becomes dedicated to Balana Taurus's wet dreams. I don't know what it is about Bolana centric episodes that they have to feature a ton of sexy time. But right off the bat, we get this what looks like some kind of flashback where it appears to be Bolana is having some interaction with someone, but she's called Karenna by this this young man. And they immediately are getting down. She He's stripping her clothes off and they are taking it to the bone village. Uh, and, uh, and the, we are, we are, are interrupted mid dream coitus, uh, by Bolana being woken up by Chakotay. Who was the star she, of the first round of sex dreams. Indeed. Uh, because she's overslept as a consequence of, visiting bone village in in her her dreams winding it back the uh guy that she hooks up with in her dream do you recognize him no did you ever watch whose line is it anyways yes that's chip <laughs> i mean there's another guest star in this episode that i definitely recognize absolutely senator senator uh, kelly senator kelly's in kelly. uh <laughs> there's all sorts of good cameos in this one man I, the reason I give this episode a C plus is based on uh, Roxana Dawson's performance alone, because I really think she did a great job of differentiating between Karenna, the character she is in her dreams and herself. Like it would have been really easy for her to play both the characters so similarly that it was difficult to tell them apart. But from the beginning, that's Karen another thing I want to point out. Clearly a, different character. Balana episodes are also rife with her character being split into multiple characters, whether it's her acting against herself in the stupid mega torpedo dread. What the hell is that called? Dreadnought. Yeah. Dreadnought or her being split into her Klingon and human side. Like they really like saying, hey, here's a script where you're going to be multiple people. Hey, you know, as an actress, she can she can handle it, which mm-hmm. uh, speaks to her c- capacity. Like, I I completely agree. This episode has flaws that I cannot wait to discuss the super hard right turn into. Let's just spoil it. Surprise. It's Nazis. 
that that happens here. And uh, I think it's poorly written yeah. as a consequence. But I have I have nothing but praise for the fact that Roxana Dawson took this this what she was given here and delivered a really good performance in both sides of what she was asked to do. And uh, uh, it's what I liked about faces. And I liked that episode too, if you remember, and you hated it. Yeah. Like I thought it was cool the way she was able to play the different sides of her psyche in a way that was distinct yet made sense. We'll hear different story, but similar uh, acting capacity is required. So I liked that part. And, uh, that went a long distance and then me ended up like ending the episode going like, ah, it's all right. It's, it's pretty good. It's all right. C plus. Uh, so yeah, Chakotay wakes her up and I want to point out at this junction that my wife has started watching Voyager. Yes. Um, she, Casey, Casey God bless you. Found out that uh, seven of nine comes in at some point this season and that she is very excited because she knows her from Boston public. Right. Um, yeah. She was a teacher on that. Yeah. So she's watching every episode with bated breath, waiting for seven and nine to roll around. Chakotay wakes up, um, Balana and she's like, Ooh, who is he? And I'm like, what do you find this guy attractive anyway? She's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I almost banished her out of the goddamn living room. I, I, I don't think I've ever been more enchanted by your wife than to know that in your presence, she praised Chakotay in such a fashion. Like, I, I think that was a troll move, Peter. That was a troll move by a troll professional. Goes, who, who is this guy? And I said, this is the most boring person in the season. In the- she knows that. She's on the Facebook group. She understands. She, so, did, she knew. She fucking knew. So I say it's. Chicote and she goes Chicote, because I mumble to myself and laugh at my own jokes when I'm just sitting around. So she starts doing the Janeway Chicote, and we just go back and forth on that for a while. At which point I resume watching the episode and sit there and watch as Torres goes to her boss and her, you know, her direct supervisor who has threatened her on several occasions professionally. Um. And she starts telling her about or telling him about her wet dream with like no hesitation. And I'm like, whoa, I know Klingons are bold, but damn. It's like if if uh, I was just telling Stevie, it's like if I asked my female subordinates to work about their crazy sex dreams, I would get fired. <laughs> like, but apparently in the 24th century on a, on a starship, this is some conversation you can have at your workplace. This, this is very very, very bon viant of them. It's yeah. very, very nice. Well, it's not like Chicote starts digging. I mean, she offers it all up like with I'll, be, with, I'll get good sex in my dreams. Like, yeah. oh, okay. Oh, I had a great sure. I was late for work this morning because I was getting it on in my dreams with the guy from whose line is it anyway? This is a weird scene for two reasons. One, the whole sex discussion with your boss. Two, you know. This is a next gen situation. Well, this is a very next gen situation. We'll get into. Well, fuck it. This is supposed to be a next gen episode. Yeah. Brand Branagh wrote this thing for a Troy centric episode in next gen, and it didn't get produced probably because it's a turd. Um, And they recycled it here, unfortunately, for uh, the people involved. 
Um, but you know, they've got a alien crew on board and they haven't really dug into the telepathic abilities of these aliens, but now your chief engineer is having pervasive dreams that she readily acknowledges are too real and feel like, you know, she's reliving someone else's memories. And Chakotay's not like, whoa, oh, ho, ho. Yeah, <laughs> we need like to this, run. The, the audience doesn't know that these guys are telepathic yet, but we clearly establish in the very next scene that the Voyager crew are aware of that. And for whatever reason, this does not immediately raise a red flag. Like, I I remembered, like, a couple key points of this episode, but the timing of that totally did not remember. And that made no sense to me that somehow Chakotay would be like, oh, this is fine. This is totally fine. The fact that you're having these crazy sex dreams that are, like, super intense and awesome uh, would have nothing to do with the fact that we've got a bunch of telepaths on board. The fact that you're dreaming about them and that they're involved in your dream is in no way strange to me whatsoever. Like the yeah, number that, one threat to, I'm sorry, the number two, the number one threat for Voyager crew members is getting in prison. The number two threat is like alien influence. And I want to say that we just had an episode not too long ago where you had, you know, empaths who didn't have control of their own shit and it starts imprinting on, uh, on crew members to their detriment. Um, but yeah, like you said, the next scene we're coming into, uh, right at the top of the scene, I'm going to give the season three fashion award right now. Harry Kim and, um, Tom Tom Paris are wearing baller ass future shit. We've seen future drug rugs. We've seen future Amish clothes. We've seen Saint (laughs) Chain. Mortal Kombat Shang Tsung robes, which make a triumphant return here. Yes, they do. We've seen a lot of bad future clothing, but these two guys are dressed legit cool. It's like, um, I thought they were going to go to Taco Bell with uh, Stallone and Demolition. <laughs> like, these are yeah. pretty swanky duds, man. Oh, man, I wanted Tom Paris's like little badass three piece. Mm-hmm. He's walking, he's, you know, like. And and Harry Kim's he's got this like Asian inspired sort of like kung fu coat thing going yeah. with his thing with the high yeah. collar. Yeah, it looked like cool future clothes by way of the nineties. And the demolition man fashion is exactly the 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 path. Demolition chic. And they they come in to a mess hall that Stevie called a uh under the sea themed yes. prom party. Yes. Exactly my thought. And my second thought was, whose replicator rations did all this fabric come out of? Yeah, it's 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 some real nice, uh, you know, it's it's like doing Grand Elysium level direction. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got some nice drapery, some nice lighting, um, beanbag chairs all over the place. Yeah, so you can lounge. I mean, it reminded me of the very nicest LARPs I've been to. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All this all this scenes missing is some doo-wop in the background. But instead, we have an old man with uh, Janeway dressed in white like she's a coke dealer. And we've got this old dude hunched over a guitar with a big blue ball. And he is gently caressing his blue balls to Janeway's delight. And the result is like some... I don't know, some uh, easy jazz synth wave as best I can describe it. And, and Janeway in a runner up moment of 
civilian fashion is wearing like this white pantsuit that's that's working for her and of course you've got tuvok in the wings in his his finish him cloak (laughs) (laughs) fucking his that robe is amazing the fact that they're like yeah let's keep him in this the last time we saw this thing was out of um meld when he had mind melded with uh crazy lon suter and was that it no, no, it was the episode when he was in command, the shitty oh, house on yeah, the prairie. Yeah. You're and right. And when, uh, when Harry comes in and he's like in his quarters, and that's like his fucking after hours gear. Yeah, it's like this metallic blue wizard's kung fu robe. And, and it's glorious. It, it, it looks like it looks like he's going to pop up and start doing like split kicks and shit and uppercuts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah, it would be perfect. Um, uh, Maybe they should have cast. John Claude Van Damme as Tuvok instead of, oh, yeah. instead of that's Russell. a missed opportunity. I'll tell you what, everybody in this, and again, we we're making a big deal out of this clothing, but this is something we've really hammered Voyager on in the past. That everybody's always in their uniform; it's always boring, and when they do bust out civilian clothes, it's terrible. This all looks cool, and if anybody out there has a group of friends and you're going to a Star Trek convention or Dragon Con, and you should totally do Dragon Con. If you were to put together this ensemble of off-duty clothing you would have the most badass group costume of all time oh my god yeah that's fucking squad goals right there and anybody who was able to recognize that would be such a turbo nerd that you need to get the hell away from before they infect you with (laughs) it's like i'm cool enough to pull this look off and that means i'm cool enough that i know that i shouldn't hang out with you yeah yeah (laughs) so uh Ultimately, Janeway's like, man, I really wish I knew how to play an instrument. That was really cool how you played all that synth jazz on that blue ball. And uh, he he basically says, here, I'll, I'll you know, I can show you uh, some things about how to play it and hands it to her. And she's, she starts to fondle the blue ball mm-hmm. and then suddenly starts to just play like, you know, some sweet Kenny G tracks off of it. Like, no problem. Yeah, a real jam, a real fish jam session comes out. And this guy who hands it off to her, his name's Joe Brill. He's kind of the leader of these Anarim people. I really enjoyed his performance, too. I couldn't really recognize him from anything big um, that I was familiar with, but I thought this guy was a pretty solid um, bit part for this. And uh, everybody's looking on at Janeway. My first thought is like, what kind of cop out piece of crap instrument is this? Like, she's totally just. <laughs> You know, it it just plays its own thing and the person on top fakes it. But they pan back and you see this Joe Brill guy. He's got his palm held up, like hover handing her back about an inch off her spine. And Tuvok is eyeballing this real hard and he recognizes what's going on. And it's this guy basically puppeting Janeway uh, via telepathy to be able to play this. I guess the specific method by which the telepathy provides the information is that Janeway is living his experiences, which, of course, informs the viewers of exactly what the fuck is happening to to Bolana, And again, makes it sort of incredulous that somehow Chakotay is unaware of what's going on uh, because the Inarans made it clear, apparently, to the Federation people that they were telepathic. Yes. And uh, this is, I guess, their first real like close contact with those powers. Um, Joe Brell apologizes to Janeway because uh, it comes clear she didn't expect 
that to be the way that he showed him or how to play it. Yeah, he's like, whoa, 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 sorry. I, I didn't mean to, you know, create a violations next gen era intrusion on you. We're not trying to have that kind of an episode. Uh, and and Janeway smooths it over like, no, that's cool. That was a, a, an excellent gift. That was uh, very nice of you to, to show me that. And it's all settled. And then I uh, cut over uh, to Chakotay enjoying some fucking hors d'oeuvres in, in a drug rug. And, and, and Snarf Snarf's over there. It's like, hey, where's, uh, where's Lieutenant Torres? And Chakotay just like has this knowing smile. It's like, oh, I think she turned in early. But really, I mean, again, the ridiculous premise of this that. And I know they're trying to tell a story, but it's like you've got senior staff that's being. Psychically probed and influenced. And you've got aliens on board. Like, why is this not instant red flags? It's a real black mark on Chakotay's common sense bingo card. Like one of our issues with last week's episode, I guess our major issue with false prophets, which was the the suspension of disbelief necessary uh, to assume that our main characters who are supposed to be competent, yes, well-trained, yes, scientists, officers and scientists and accomplished professionals have to be this incompetent and stupid to allow the plot to happen is not a good way to start. And you know, that's why we just hated false prophets, because it's like, you mean to tell me that this this Federation crew is going to have hot game run all over them by these Federation or I'm sorry, these Ferengi Jamokes that, you know, are couldn't outsmart a sixth grader. These these are the guys that are expecting to traverse the entire galaxy to get home. Yeah, I mean, at least this Same time here, a like, wormhole home isn't on the fucking table. And Chakotay didn't immediately turn around after seeing that shit and go and like, yo, uh, <laughs> I think my subordinate and good friend from my terrorist days might be getting effed with by these telepaths. I'm going to go fucking deal with that. Like, yeah. instead, he's like, oh, good for her. She's going to get some sweet dick in her dreams. Yep. Okay, he's a good friend. Fine. He's a great he's friend. A good, he just wants to make sure her girl's getting, his girl's getting laid. That's he's good. A, it's good he's a wingman, too. Yeah. So we cut to Torres, in fact, having another sexy time dream, but this one isn't as nice because um, it's her having interaction with her dad. So the dream version of her, Karenna, is having an argument with uh, the actor who played Senator uh, Kelly in the X-Men movies. Uh, I believe his name was Bruce Davison. Yeah. And And, uh, Senator Kelly, if you'll remember, is at the end of he's like the super hardliner anti-mutant guy who magneto kidnaps and then turns into a mutant he turns into a fish man and then like just disintegrates into a puddle of water right and then mystique is him in the second movie for yeah. the first bit or something yeah he is uh, essentially trying to convince uh karenna to not see the young man that he's she's clearly going to bone town with and it's a, it's one of those stereotypical you know that that uh, that boy's not right for you. He's from the wrong side of the track. Yeah, sounding the thing. jock and socious thing. Yeah, like it doesn't seem super severe. It's like he's not right for you. It's just it's, you know, he's, it, it doesn't give like that sort of feeling like it's something super serious. It's just uh, he's like father poor part of town. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, he's like hidden someplace nearby and gets him out after he leaves and 
and they're back in each other's embrace and then it it ends with the 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 boy suddenly looking like he's he's gone to the cast school of having your blood boiled yeah chip ain't doing too hot and uh he's got like boils all over his face it basically looks like yeah like he got boiled alive and it cuts to towards waking up like whoa holy shit what the fuck was that not sexy <laughs> not sexy did not go to bone town not enjoying this so what if she had woken up and like been even more excited like <gasps> that's my fetish <laughs> oh oh and now we're watching an episode of black mirror uh <laughs> so Torres explains this to Chicote like, hey, I, my dreams have turned into this more of a, like a telenovela and it's starting to get a little weird. And finally, Chicote is like, golly gee willikers, it is strange you're having these vivid dreams about this alien telepathic alien race that's currently on board. Maybe we should go, you know, talk to, you know, the aliens about it and tell the captain that some of them might be screwing with you in some way. And she's like, golly gee willikers, that sounds like a good plan. Maybe I am being messed with. And it's essentially just an excuse to cut to the next flashback sequence, I guess. I feel like at the end of that exchange, Chakotay should have like reached and grabbed another pip and put it on his collar so he could fully assume the role of Captain Obvious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like good job, me. Backpat. Yeah. yeah. Hot cell five. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't, you don't say, buddy. I mean, the fact that Torres herself couldn't come to that fucking conclusion, she's doing herself no favors there. But again, we already, we already went over this ground, so it's fucking stupid. Uh, Torres goes down to engineering, uh, but kind of halfway down, she just falls down into sleepy time and starts having another one of the dreams this time you know she's been giving some kind of award at some kind of of uh academy i guess uh where they're talking about like exploration and space exploration and colonization and that sort of thing so like the beginnings of this race going into the stars and and she's some uh, government functionary or recruit or some kind of officer in this effort. And her father's clearly higher ranking is giving her an award. And her, her boyfriend has shown up to see it, even though he's not necessarily welcome because he's from the wrong side of the tracks. And they, they have that kind of Romeo and Juliet moment of, oh, we can't be seen. Oh, but we want each other. And, uh, it it starts to give a little bit of an inkling that like, it's more than he's just like her father doesn't like her. Like she's, he's some kind of, he's somehow othered. Yeah. In terms of during the award ceremony, they start kind of world building what we've got here. And you've got, like you said, a civilization that is right on the cusp of, you know, true intergalactic travel. And while her father, you know, Senator Bob Kelly is leading this speech, he identifies the threat of the vile mutants. <clears throat> I mean, the um, regressives, right. these Luddites who refuse to ironically evolve um, and embrace the technology that is clearly starting to shape their, uh, their uh, culture. Um and we don't really ever see anything from the uh, 
um, regressives as far as actions go, but he doesn't really, you know, seem too keen on their agenda and encourages all the people at this award ceremony to ignore them and look forward to a brighter tomorrow. It's, it's not sinister yet in the episode. It's just like, mm, they're, they're other, they're they're othered. They're kind of outsiders. And we just need to just do our thing and not really worry about it. Right. Yeah. So this, Scene happens. It's caused Torres to fall unconscious. She wakes up in sick bay, and the doctor spoils what we've all figured out, which is Golly G. Willikers' telepathic information is being beamed into her head. What a fucking shock! And clearly, having these uh, telepaths on board probably have something to do with it. <laughs> the the, do- the doctor throws a cortical inhibitor on Torres to prevent her from continuing to have them because they can cause minor brain damage. Yeah. Now, <laughs> like see, so she's many other fucking things. She gets the, you know, the second generation cortical stimulator. That's only about the size of a pop cap, as opposed to the cereal boxes that are normally getting taped to the side of two box head. He's just got all that extra Vulcan brain power. So I got to they got to bust out the XLs. Mm-hmm. You know, some some Klingon brain. That's it's fine. It's a little, you know, the starter. A dabble do you. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got uh, Janeway, you've got Chakotay and you've got Tuvok all in there. You know, OK, so you've got the top brass on the ship now aware of this. And um, Janeway orders. Uh, orders her to take some time off and that, you know, they're going to pursue this. And like you said, they bring in Joe Brill, who's the leader of the Anarans, and they start kind of questioning. And I, I like the way that Janeway leads the questioning on this. It's not accusatory. It's not aggressive. Uh, how does she frame it? Like, you know, we're not accusing you. We're just trying to get to the bottom of what's going on or what could be going on here. Yeah, I mean, the it's worth pointing out the Anarans have been portrayed consistently throughout as gentle, nonviolent, almost passive and they say, Hey, you know, and the opening captain's log points out that Janeway's just really happy. She's making friends, right? Like we made buddies and this is nice. Yeah. So she's being very diplomatic. And she's saying, listen, can you just kind of explain how this could have happened? Cause you know, telepathy's weird and we get that telepathy's weird. We've had some fucking weird telepathy shit happen on this ship already. Mm -hmm. So paint us a picture. How did this happen? Uh, Joe Brell, essentially lays out a plausible explanation of like, listen, it's a hundred percent against our ethics to force these kinds of visions on people that would not be happening. Um, but it is possible to like pick up like cross traffic from all of our telepathic emanations. And then your brain reorganizes the information in a certain way to comprehend what's happening. And it could be for whatever reason, that Lieutenant Torres's Klingon physiology makes her sensitive to us because, you know, you guys are aliens from the other part of the galaxy. That's why we don't fucking know how our, all of our brains might interact with, you know, each other. And humans don't seem to mind us, but maybe for whatever reason, Klingons are sensitive to it. One of the and, most uh, legit explanations in Star Trek you can possibly lay out. I mean, that thing sounds airtight to me. It, it sounds 100% plausible. Like... To a bunch of people who really have no way to verify this information accurately. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just not going to be able to. 
great, great way to explain it. Absolutely. And, you know, Tuvok backs it up. It's like, this is, this could definitely be why this is happening. Torres says, yeah, sure. Sounds good to me. That seemed reasonable. Uh, But Janeway, it's like, you know what? Let's, let's make sure that there's no foul play. Tuvok is going to go and uh, continue to investigate. But Torres is told, listen, you got to, uh, you got to rest. Let's let us handle it. You've, you're the one that's being exposed to danger here. The rest of us obviously can't be affected by whatever's happening. So you go chill. We'll handle this, which of course our, our cup ankle attacker does not take lying down. Or should I say she does take lying down because she goes back to her quarters, rips off her dab of cortical inhibitor and goes back to Dreamtown. I want to point out here too, that all the telepathic ability we've seen out of these people so far necessitates point blank contact it's not full skin contact but you know the the hand over the spine you got a hover hand yeah to just you gotta get you know how to play an instrument let alone netflix stream an entire you know binge watch of a of a series which is what she's getting um and like you said they've gone through these telepathic issues before like the episode with uh the hollow novel characters appearing all over the place and the teacup and then ultimately find out that it's uh, that dude trying to hijack Voyager and cast Super Saiyans him at the end. Remember? I mean, like, I at some point, and again, you're not going to acknowledge it because it's Voyager, but like, uh, so you've got telepaths that can just full HD stream remotely. Like, is this where that dude came from? Because that's where it feels like this guy came from. <laughs> and they don't really explain how it is that, okay, spoiler alert, the grandma we saw in the first scenes, the one that's beaming this shit, mm-hmm. as you said, direct in 4K. Oh, yeah. They don't explain how she does that while everyone else to the hover hand, but I don't care. Like, that that didn't bother me that that detail was missing, because they don't make a big deal out of the proximity thing in the explanation sequence. Like, they leave open the possibility that this kind of transmission is feasible. Um, where I do, like, where the episode falls apart a little bit, because, like, the scenes up to now have been fine. Like I said, I really liked uh, Bolana's, uh, rather Roxana Dawson's performances, both Karenna and Bolana. Everybody else's interactions with the situation, while Chakotay's purposeful stupidity makes no sense, like Janeway, Tuvok, the uh, the under the sea prom, all of the civilian clothes. I liked all this stuff. Uh, where where the episode starts to take a real hard right turn is here we are two thirds the way through the episode, and. We just we just bank a turn into these gentle aliens secretly being Nazis. And when I say Nazis, I mean goose stepping, Roman salute giving genocidal maniacs. Because what we find out in the next couple uh, sequences here is that the the main group of of these aliens essentially murdered all of the quote unquote regressives. Let's call them gypsies. Let's call them gypsies. <clears throat> yeah. What a great because they look the look is right, perfect. So the gypsy aliens are are going to be quote unquote sent off to the farm, right? Sent off to to go to their their own little hovel someplace else. What know? they're saying is that they're relocating them off world. 
And again, this is a, you know, a civilization that has just achieved interstellar travel. It seems plausible. Hey, we're rounding these guys up. Clearly, they're not compatible with our lifestyle. We're just going to put them on, you know, the third moon over there and they can have their own planet uh, on their reservation. And we're going to do our thing and nobody's going to bother anybody anymore. And then uh, Chip from whose line is it? tells uh, his girlfriend like yeah no your dad's rounding people up and putting them on the train and then gassing them and uh that ain't cool your dad's part of something terrible and the girl's like no but dad's a good guy and uh he's like well listen uh either your dad's right and i'm a piece of shit or i'm right and your dad's a you know a hitler my problem with this is that there's nothing in the episode up to this point that gave you any indication that this, I mean, on one hand, I guess some people would like that it was an out of nowhere twist. Like, what a twist! You know, M. Night Shyamalaning. These guys are secretly Nazis, but like, I don't like that in my storytelling. Like, there's no continuity or consistency in that. Like, some indication that these guys have a sinister background that they try and hide from everyone else because they don't want people to know, or that, uh, you know, there's something latent in the performance that suggested this as a sort of nuance that you could have picked up on and then connect when this jump is made. They don't do any of that. Like these, these guys murdered the shit out of a huge portion of their own race. And then are like, okay, we're cool now. We're totally fine. So to kind of burn through the rest of the plot here, so we can start discussing the deeper things. um, She finds out that her boyfriend's supposed to be relocated. Uh, dad comes to her back at the house and says, hey, I know you tipped him off. She's like, no, I didn't. Meanwhile, the guys in the other room, he had just given her the, hey, you need to run away with me because this is uh, this place is evil and your dad's evil. So he's hiding in the closet and the dad's like, look, you know, this guy, did he tell you he loves you? This is a real good performance, too, on behalf of uh, Senator Bob Kelly. This is, this is how he won his second term. Um, you know, he's whispering in her ear. You know, do you tell you he loves you? He's told a lot of girls that. Isn't it cruel? And you see how terrible these people are and how they're really a threat. She rats out the fact that her uh, that chips in the closet. Bob Kelly grabs him, drags him off. They bring him to town square where they get executed by way of essentially, um, you know, <laughs> burn him at the stake. Literally. Yeah, they get their blood boiled. I mean, I, I, I want to give props to Senator Kelly, like that scene where he's like whispering in her ear. That was really cool. Yeah. That was well acted. It was well done. Roxanne Dawson's like fucking emotionally a mess. Yeah. Like you can see that conflict, but it was almost like the the fucking revenge of the Sith problem. Like she went from I'm torn and conflicted and emotionally uh, compromised to please murder my boyfriend. Yeah. And I will, I will cheer it. She cheers it on. She yeah. like raises her fist like, yeah, murdered a fuck out of that guy. Like, what is what the fuck is this? All of a so, sudden, Senator Kelly goes from eh, just ignore those guys to we got to fucking kill him. And the, your, your your girlfriend goes from I love you to die, bitch, die, burn, burn in hell. Yeah, um, there's a break in the telepathic story. Uh, Taurus tries to find out where uh, some of the crew, the, some of the visitors are. She figures out it's grandma. She rushes to grandma's quarters, finds grandma passed out on the floor. Uh, grandma rolls over and uh, says, you must know the end of the story and grabs her and, and gives her the rest of the download on what's going on here. Um, 
At which point, uh, Torres goes off her rocker down in the mess hall. They're about six hours away from the Anarin's home world. And uh, Janeway's thrown these guys a goodbye party. And Joe Brill, the leader, is about to make a toast. And in bus Torres in full crazy mode with a tinfoil hat on and starts yelling, oh, these guys are monsters and scoundrels and they're genocidal, hom- you know, uh, maniacs. And you guys have tried to suppress the truth. And everybody's just looking around like, uh, what? The, the premise here, I get, right? Like, they're trying to hide their genocidal past from the next generation that's come up. And so all of this has been suppressed and uh, I'm going to make a deep reference here to something not traditionally nerdy. Peter, have you, did you ever see the movie downfall? No. It's a good historic drama uh, about the last days of Hitler's life uh, as he, uh, you know, laid in, you know, in hiding in the Fuhrer bunker in Berlin as the Russians came in around him. And, and it's told through the perspective of his personal secretary uh, who gives interviews at, you know, at the beginning of the movie, at the end of the movie. And it's, it's actually based on her real life accounts of what happened. And, you know, the, the movie is to say the least morally confused on purpose because uh, you know, there, there are times when, you know, you, you sympathize with the main character, the secretary and the situation that she's currently in, you know, stuck with with Hitler and this crazy chaotic situation. And other times when really she put herself in that situation and, you know, how, how much culpability does she have for what's going on? And and that sort of thing It's a great movie. If you've never heard of it, look it up. Uh, it's where the 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 famous downfall Hitler meme that we've used for Voyager comes from that scene is from that movie. Um, so this show That's is all telling- I had to say is, had you ever seen the movie that the Hitler reacts video is from? I, it's probably all I actually had to say, but I wanted to explain the movies actually good. Yes. Okay. The Hitler reacts movie. If you've, if you've ever seen it, the act, that actual movie is telling that kind of moral confusion perspective. And they try to like fish that same sentiment out of the water here at the end with Balana coming in saying, Oh, you know, uh, annoying grandma gave me all of these visions because, you know, she was trying to, you know, uh, take responsibility for what she allowed to happen. All that would, when seriously, we just watched this lady, uh, sell out her boyfriend, celebrate her murder and then lie about her death. And we've, we only saw her in the opening scene and then not until she died. So we have no character building. We don't really know anything about how any of this happened with her. So they're, they're, they're trying to uh, give the emotional punch that that two and a half hour movie gave in like three minutes. Yeah. What we got out of the what we got out of annoying grandma is that she's a Mary Sue and she's the best at everything. And she's got great warp theory and she writes songs on the blue ball guitar and all this other stuff. This movie, I'm sorry, this episode did a couple things that I thought were terrible. One ramrodding the Nazi agenda into this. It's a Holocaust story and they do try to like really go the Schindler's list angle. And I think it fails miserably. Yeah. Because I feel like it somehow waters down the Nazi story um, that 
you're taking these people and you're presenting them as general. There's no like war, this crazy, right? Like ultra conservative, like ultra conservative agenda that you're seeing. Like you said, it's all pretty soft touch until the last twist there. And I feel like you're taking a really terrible real life tragic event. You're dumbing it down big time. So it's like the Shyamalan twist. And then you're thrown out on the table expecting that there's going to be this outrage. Uh, and in the process, you're taking the the what, what's the grandma's name? Corinne? Uh, uh, Jora. Jora. So Balana starts going about like what a hero and how great she is and, and all this stuff. And it's like, no, she's not. She's a total fucking coward. Everything that you're standing here ranting like a lunatic looking crazy because Joe Bro like calls out. He's like, listen, Jora's an old lady and she's really sick. And it might account for why she's got like off the charts mental powers. And she's just filling your head with nonsense. You have no evidence at all to corroborate anything that's going on here. And she's using you essentially as a puppet to to spread this crazy theory. She could have just as easily walked in here herself and said all this and said, you know, we're living a lie and gone to the, the younger generation. Said she's grabbing an innocent bystander alien and and forcing, you know, all this drama up in her business. Um, and in the process, making Bolana look like a complete lunatic. And there's like no way really for the rest of Starfleet to act in the face of these massive accusations, which ultimately don't matter. You know, yeah. we're talking about Janeway, who was about to take a 14 year old to a forever uh, prison rape scenario. Who has been complacent in several terrible governments they've come across. And it's like, what's what's really the point here? Who really cares? What is the goal of the storytellers to convey in so far as Starfleet's involvement? Because right now you just make, you know, Balana look like a, a lunatic and you're going to make Janeway look like uh, a do nothing. I think at the end they resolve and they say that Janeway's canceled shore leave and called off trade negotiations with, you know, a, a civilization that, um, you know, had some real tech gains for them to make. And there's no way for them to prove anything. And it's not until the up of the end of the episode where Bolana goes down to the lady from Yuri's Revenge and it's like starts talking all this crazy. And the girl's like, well, you know, I'll tell you what, I can establish a telepathic link with you conveniently and you can, I don't know, spread the story through me, I guess. And that's that's like their their resolution for the end of the scene. They they try to give you a glimmer of hope that there's going to be some reckoning, moral reckoning for what these people did by the lady from Yuri's Revenge getting the same download that Torres got. But the problem is they had three ways they could have gone about this episode uh, that would have made sense, and they didn't take any of them. They could have gone uh, on a path of this is really a, like, a personal story, a forlorn love thing, and this lady in her her old age maybe can't control her telepathy as well. And it's kind of like honed on to Torres for whatever reason they want to explain. And now she feels drawn and connected to her and wants to help her. Right. And they could have told that story that way, or there's an ongoing reckoning for their background between two factions of the people, like the younger generation that, you know, is trying to find out what happened. The older generation trying to suppress it. And for whatever right. reason, Torres, because she's Klingon is somehow picking up on, on some of this fucking back and forth. And she's, 
you know, been driven a little crazy by synthesizing information and has to, tr- and the Federation people have to try along specifically Torres have to they try could and have validate a conspiracy. Right. Or, or they could have gone the, the way of, uh, you know, like, oh God, you know, like not even really making it a Torres episode that way. I guess the first two are really maybe the, the best ways if you want to make it still a Torres episode and change as little as possible. But instead, like you said, they, the, the the premise makes no sense. We don't understand why this character is doing this to, to Torres and not directly to Yuri's v- revenge lady straight off the bat. Yeah. Which would have made way more sense. Yes. And, you know, if for all of the good performances and kind of interesting set piece things that they do with the premise, it falls apart at the end because the twist feels unearned and forced. And the and reason why this is happening is is never understood, you yeah. know, and I, I liked Janeway's resolution, which is, listen, I believe you, but the fuck am I supposed to do about it? Like, yeah, but, I'm I mean, not getting what, involved. Why would Janeway believe her? You know, there's accusations that like, uh, oh, the old you know, annoying grandma was murdered in her room. And it's like, well, actually, we did an autopsy and the doctor who always finds, you know, the murder weapon can't find anything. There's no proof. Everybody seemed chill. It's like on paper, there is nothing supporting what Taurus is saying. And what Taurus appears to be is 100% like space crazy right now, space madness. So I think if there was something more concrete to go off of, I would have a better time with um, Janeway's reaction to this. But it just seems like pandering to to no real effect. This episode, I think I'm going to summarize it by saying it comes off like I don't know what hard impacting thing they were going for, but it comes off as a shitty mixture of um, the sound of music and inner light. And it's just a bad mashup. You've got this weird Nazi forbidden love persecution subplot mixed with, um, you know, a member of the crew reliving someone's life in the blink of an eye and carrying the experiences of this tragedy forward for, you know, the rest of their life as well as the, the bearer of witness. I I would say that it was the inner light crossed with Romeo and Juliet before it takes a detour turn off the rails into downfall. And I still stand by giving it a C plus because while Many of the critiques you and I have put down, I think, are deserved. Uh, unlike many of the truly failed episodes of the show, uh, there are good performances. Yes. There's some interesting uh, scenes that we get out of it. I think Torres as a character and Roxana Dawson as an actor is well represented in this episode. No, I agree. I agree with you completely. There, there's a lot of strong performances. I think all of the guest actors knock it out of the park. Yeah, um, Senator Kelly's great. It's a squandering of good opportunities and what could have been some interesting some interesting things to play with, but they just it was a lame duck story. I think there's a very good reason why this never became a next generation episode and shame on them for trying to warm it up into a Voyager episode. Well put. Well put. And I also want to clarify on the record when I'm just so there's like not weird internet backlash. I'm not saying that like 
they watered down the not like Nazis are sweet and you know these guys didn't do them justice. I'm saying that the the real life tragedy of what went on over there, I feel like they tried to latch into that as like a low like a cheap shot emotional play, and and I think it was a disservice to what what really happened. Like you jump back to Jatral and like the uh, Hiroshima. What is it with Voyager after you know going after World War II tragedies? Like what's next? I, I, you know what? Detroit was be- way better handled. Yes. Because they built the whole episode around that conundrum. Yes. And if they had built this whole episode around that issue, it could have been well done. But the yeah. problem is that they just hit you with it at the last second. And it happened all so fast that it just it it's the revenge of the Sith issue. Uh, Anakin's killing younglings. Why is this happening? Mm. The fuck is this? Yeah. Anyway, man, I think that concludes everything worth saying about Remember. What do we got next? Coming up next, we got uh, Season 3, Episode 7, Sacred Ground. And we've got three old people making mean face wearing army drab clothing. After Kess is injured by an energy beam on a planet's sacred ground, Janeway must undergo a spiritual quest in order to save her life. This sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? I'm going to tell you what, when I took froze to take the screenshot of this in Netflix and I saw the next ep- couple episodes coming up, like it looks like we are entering a real series of duds here and I am afraid for my sanity. You probably should be. Although I will say that things improve uh, quickly after this because we get uh, a mid-season two-parter that is delightful and I know we will enjoy. So just just get through this next one with me and then we'll get to some we'll get to some fun shit. I think something I think like a good warning sign for these episodes and maybe for Voyager is like if Kess is the damsel in distress, it's going to be a bad episode. Hey, 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 wait, wait. That episode when they had uh the other Ocampan show up with the other caretaker. That was good. She's not really a damsel in distress. Though. I would say she's empowered the whole way through. That's her flirtation with the dark. Like, I don't think at any point she's ever disadvantaged. I think she's front and center and, and, you know, a real strong part of the crew the whole way through. Except for a which was in fact, probably the worst episode of the series we've done. A yeah, was crap. Um, I don't know. I have to go do some research and see if there's been any other Kesses in trouble. Please help. Uh, I don't think and I want to give this a rule of acquisition, Joe. I understand. You're going to withdraw those for only the good ones, which I I respect that. I respect that tactic. So until next time, this has been Vija Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. Feel free to join us on Facebook. Uh, email us. Like uh, We had a good uh, fan email, actually. Hey Mikey, an awesome fan email. Yeah, uh, sent us his appreciation for the podcast. Uh, and hey, Mikey, we appreciate you too. Uh, but in particular, you sent us a photograph of uh, his interpretation of Basics Part Two, I guess, with action figures of Seska, and uh, it was good stuff. And what I uh, believe to be a baby Jesus out of a nativity scene. Uh, hey, I didn't even know there were Seska action figures, so that was a joyful. That was a joyful. Uh, uh, moment for me to know that that's a real thing. I'd love to have a Seska action figure. Yeah. But uh, 
uh, in the absence of that, we appreciate the the artwork, so to speak. Did he say that he had his own Voyager podcast and they couldn't stomach the episodes to get through them? Yeah, they, he said that he was doing a Star Trek podcast, but getting through Voyager was impossible. Well, we feel the hurt, man, especially after um, after the story elements in this one. It's been three gut punches in a row, and it's going to probably be four. But, you know, we'll we'll get to some fun shit after that. I promise you that. We'll see you next week, and uh, hopefully I'll have another good report for yet another Orville episode under the belt as well. That's that's really what got me through this one, was uh, the joy of knowing I got to dig into an Orville. I'll let, I'll let everybody know how much I piss off Reddit. Peace! Peace!